All right, Conrad, how do you feel about this Patagonia story? I'm I'm so happy. Yvonne Chouinard is one of my favorite business people. And just to catch everyone up on this, Patagonia, Yvonne Chouinard, instead of going public, has basically said all of the profits that Patagonia produces from here forward is going to go to fighting climate change. He wrote the book, Let My People Go Surfing. It's one of my favorite business books. We should actually do a, a segment on best business books, but that's a Let great my people idea. Go surfing. Coming coming at you next time at Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Well, I love Patagonia stuff. I love the story. I hope they're successful in fighting climate change. I, we get our uh, company swag from Patagonia. Is this going to change your purchasing behavior, though? Well, no, because I'm already a Patagonia customer. So, no, but would you maybe be, it makes would me you, feel better? Buy would more? You buy more? Like, would you eschew Arcteryx in favor of Patagonia now because of this? I think so. Um, I would too. Honestly. And I think that honestly, the other thing is, is like it actually made me shop for Patagonia stuff and I don't really even need it. But I was like, you know what? It's a great story. Great company. Great product. Support the cause. Cause marketing. Cause mark. Oh, wow. We came back. Didn't you talk about this? We've talked about this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we got on the talkings about agenda today? So we are not going to talk about the news today. No news because the only news that we had was three more Google algorithm updates where you and I were going to say, eh, just wait and see what happens. So we're not going to do any news. We are Great. going to talk protesting about protesting the news. Pro- yeah, there's a lot of news to protest, but that's a, that's a, that's a different thing. <laughs> different show. Different show. Uh, different show. You'll have to listen to Pod Save America for that news. Anyway, different conversation. We will be talking about legal marketing conferences or legal conferences in general. Are they worth it? We're going to get into one of my favorite things, sales funnel velocity. How's that for an MBA-sounding garbled mouthful? That sounds very <laughs> gibberish jargon to me. Brought to you by the Michigan MBA sales funnel velocity, which is honestly a Go really, blue. really important thing that most of you don't think about. And along the lines of those metrics, we're going to talk about, do we need metrics or we don't need no stinking metrics? We're professionals. We're professionals. But Guy, I hear that you are missing out I'm doing the throw to music, so I'm going to stop talking and let you throw it. Thank you. This is one of my favorite parts of the show. Mr. Lockwood, hit that good music. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing, teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome, dear listeners, to another exciting and hilarious episode of Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Uh, We're diving right in today to a rant. I guess it's my rant. We'll see. Maybe Codray will be ranting on it, too. But the rant is, are conferences worth it? And you know what? That's the title. You know, we got to have a title so we can put something in there. But here's the reason for some of this ranting. I posted on LinkedIn about masterminds and, and, you know, I think masterminds can be exceptionally valuable. I think conferences can be exceptionally valuable. I mean, let's face it, I have volunteered uh, for many years to participate in the ABA Tech Show conference and I'm the current co-chair. But to me, it's not even about just like, are they worth it? I think this rant started when we were discussing this episode. Not all conferences are created equally. 
And so, you know, some of these conferences, you know, the speakers, some speakers are paying to be at the conference. Oh, well, lots some of, of these speakers are paying. There are conferences where every single speaker pays, right? And why would a speaker pay to speak at a conference, Conrad? Well, if you need to prostitute your wares to a bunch of prospective clients, a conference is a great place to do that. What's okay. the, uh, what, let me ask you a question. Please. I don't know if you're willing to answer this. Okay. Most recently, what is the highest amount you have been asked in order to speak at a conference? And I suspect we have the same number because we've both been hit by this. Well, I, you know, it's an interesting. So that question is loaded itself because like I get a lot of these like speaker sponsorship emails. Right. And they're in the tens to twenties to thirties, thousands of dollars okay. range. But, you know, that's the thing is like, is that, is that really, am I being asked to speak? It doesn't feel like I'm being asked to speak. It feels like I'm asked to be a sponsor of the show. Yeah. It has a speaking slot as part of the sponsorship. Yeah. Now, would you go to that if you couldn't speak? Would you just sponsor uh, and stand Maybe yes, booth? maybe no. I mean, I, my, 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 again, hence the rant. My issue is, is like the attendees for the most part, a lot of them, they don't know about this stuff. They don't know. They, they don't put it on the website when you're joining the conference. Like these are speaker sponsors. Now they're less like, this is a speaker. Right. In fact, sometimes they don't even talk about whether they're paid or not or what that relationship is. And so what do you get? You get pitches from the stage. It's why, you know, it's one of the reasons why uh, the ABA has been so clear throughout the years that you can't pitch from the stage and, you know, they don't take money for speakers and, you know, sponsorships are designated sponsorships. So, but, okay, but it's not what just else, that. What else do you hate about conferences right yeah. now? Yeah. The other thing is, is I'm like, I'm looking at some of these conferences and, you know, look, you want to go and get inspired by a motivational speaker or you're a fan of somebody or whatever, and you want to make a trip out of it. Great. And that's not to say that you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can have a little motivation and a little information and some networking stuff. But, you know, the reason I really was the real thrust of the rant, as I mentioned, I had this post on LinkedIn about masterminds. So you know, is it a conference? I guess mastermind, some of the conferences are put sure. on in the same way, but you get a lawyer who's purportedly big brand, big name. They group together with some other lawyers, big brands, big names. And then they sell the conference, the summit, the mastermind, the whatever you want to call it to lawyers who are established themselves, which again, as I acknowledge on LinkedIn, can have tremendous value. You get to learn the mistakes that they made, maybe you don't make those mistakes, hugely valuable, you know, whatever. But in a lot of these contexts, they're your local competitor. And so I'm like, yep, okay, you can go, you can pay that person, but this lawyer who's a competitor is monetizing, developing some kind of relationship with you because, you know, a lot of them that's like designed to be like a, create a referral relationship or that's what they pitch sometimes at the conference. And, and that one to me just like struck me as like, guys, folks, people, attendees, you got to ask some questions about these conferences. They're not all the same. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to yeah. answer my question to give you time to think. So I don't want to put you on the spot. I'll answer the question and then you can answer it. Okay. If you could choose one conference to go to, you're the owner of a law firm. You're going to choose one conference to go to this year. What would it be? My answer to that just happened. I'm going to move outside of legal, and I think it's important to move outside of legal. I would absolutely have gone to HubSpot's inbound. 
partly because of the draw of their keynote speaker, which was Obama. But I do think there's value in thinking outside of the legal industry. And so I would pick HubSpot's inbound. If you could go to one conference this year for as the owner of a law firm, Guy, to get smarter, or what would it be? Well, I love it. And I'm going to qualify that answer in various ways. Number one is, what am I going there for? Am I going there because I need to be motivated? Am I going there for tactical knowledge? Am I going there because I need CLE? Uh, These are all questions. And so that's why, and again, bias alert warning, because I am the (laughs) co-chair, tech show. Because, and here's here's my pitch. Here's my pitch. It's not platform specific. You get a bunch of different tech providers. You get experts there. You know, uh, frankly, on the, you know, huge paid keynote side of things, tech show doesn't do that. So if that's what you're looking for, don't go to Tech Show. But CLE, Tech Show. So I'm running with Tech Show. My people at ABA, obviously I'm biased. There's a lot of good shows. Um, anyway, if you've got a great conference that you love, LHL Emmett, Twitter. If you have a conference you hate, LHL Emmett. What are your thoughts on conferences? Are you going to conferences? Are we still worried a little bit about face-to-face in-person conferences? Have you done a hybrid or one of these virtual things? We'd love to hear from you. Hashtag LHLM. Let us take a quick break. Smart firms use CallRail to track where every lead comes from. PPC, LSA, organic search, or even offline ads. CallRail tells you which channels drive your best leads. CallRail even integrates with your favorite CRM or practice management tools to help manage your leads and see the ROI on your marketing investments. Know exactly which marketing tools work. Plans start at 45 bucks a month. We recommend CallRail to every single one of our clients. Go to callrail.com slash lunch hour now and try it for free. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app. Hey, Guy, have you ever decided not to buy something? This is a real-world example, not a uh, virtual example. But have you ever decided not to buy something because the line at checkout was too long? Yes, many times. And in fact, I recently decided not even to return something because the line at checkout was too long. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. The, the customer service line was too long. You're just like, I'm, I'm going to I was I'm like, I'm not even returning that. it. The pink pillows, they're just fantastic. And that's why I'm like, I'm like, do they do that on purpose? <laughs> so I want to talk about, I'm using that as a real world example, but a problem that happens in legal intake, which is this concept around sales velocity. And sales velocity is fundamentally how quickly someone goes from lead to signed clients. And the reason it's so important is what I just talked about. The slower you are in going from 
I think I might want to buy this to actually purchasing something, the less likely you are to A, buy the thing at all, or B, buy it from whom you're initially talking to. And so sales funnel velocity becomes really, really important. We break the funnel into a bunch of different steps. We talk about leads, which is a phone call, form fill, text, or chat, and then consultations, right? So the intake person has decided that we actually want to talk to you. From the consultation, you have what we call attorney qualified leads. This is where a attorney has actually had that consultation and decided that this is a prospect that we actually want. And then signed client, right? And the speed at which people move through that funnel has a very, very high impact on the overall conversion rate of that funnel. And yet, Guy, my gut is most lawyers, well, actually, it's not my gut. Most lawyers don't know those numbers. Most lawyers aren't paying attention to those numbers or thinking about those numbers at all. And so just go to the classic managerial perspective. If you don't measure, it won't get done. How many of your clients do you know are thinking about sales velocity? Uh, not as sales velocity. And, and I'm going to pick a fight with you. Go. Um, wow. I th- this was so I friendly. That, you were just yeah, mean know, to right? the, the conferences and now you're being mean to me? Yeah. All right. No, this is not. Uh, no, I'm, I'm yeah, per usual, agree with you on many, many of these things. So if we're talking about how can we improve responsiveness, you know, nurturing, you know, sales 101 stuff that you can do. I think sure. it's great. And I think, and I think to your point, which is like, I think you're, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like your big point is to be measuring these things and working on improving them. And so, you know, if you've got a bad response rate, hundred percent, if your process is broken, we would call it a pipeline. I don't know if lawyers tend to use pipelines and saying some do, but if there's something going on in your pipeline, that's causing a block. Awesome. Like we should be measuring that and managing it. Right. In some contexts, though, in, mm. in hiring a lawyer, you you got to be careful not to walk the line of like, okay, this is, and we're going to talk about this with metrics, but the metric to manage is increased sales funnel velocity, but then, oh, in doing so, conversion went down because now we're harassing people. Sure. That's my only nit. No, it, it, it's a fair point. I, uh, I was in Golden, Colorado. Icelandic, which is a small ski manufacturer, is headquartered in Golden, Colorado. Their only retail shop is in Golden, Colorado. They had some amazing skis that I was interested in looking at. And the guy there was just like, you got to buy these right now or they're going to be gone. They're going to be gone by October, man. You got to pull the trick. And I, I walked out. I was like, dude, I want to learn about your skis. Right. So that was my devil's advocacy. I think you're 90% of are right. And I think the big point here is like, yeah, lawyers aren't doing any of this. They're certainly not measuring it, right? Some um, are. Some are. Some Most some are. are. I, I will share with you, for my clients, we do measure this. And those steps in the funnel, we're doing from lead to consultation. So lead to book consultation for our clients on average. And there's, by the way, there's a mass, if you get nerdy about the stats on this, the standard deviation, this is a very flat bell curve. The standard deviations are very wide. So it's very, very variable here. But on average, we're going from that lead to a booked consultation in 2.7 days. We are going, sorry, 2.8 days. We're going from that consultation book to deciding that you actually want that person as a client or not in 2.8 days. And we are then taking, interestingly, 8.6 days to go from, I've decided I want you as a client to actually having that client sign, 
right? So interesting data points from us. By the way, if you are Love interested... Love these data points, by the way. So data is super important. If you're interested in benchmarking your firm against the data, Guy and I are putting some data together, uh, mockingbirdmarketing.com slash benchmark. Um, you can join that data study, and it'll include numbers like this. But what we have found is if you're an outlier to any of those data points. So just think about things like answering the phone, right? If it takes you a long time to answer the phone or you don't answer the phone regularly, or if someone fills out a form fill on your site and it takes you a day to get back to that person, you've just taken that step in the funnel and you've added 24 hours to that, right? Do you have that data point? Because I don't think that's one you mentioned earlier. Do you have that one up in front of you somewhere? Which the data one point? on the from inquiry to response? Average oh yeah, time. that's the two point. Sorry, that's the two point eight days, right? So, got it. From from ing- so I'm presuming that from inquiry to like talking to that person during that talking to that person, you book the consultation. Well, I was that that's a- the issue, right? Because yeah. there's a difference between booking the consultation and responding, right? Because might the response might be immediate, but the consultation is not booked for 2.8 sure days. yes i do not have okay. that kind of immediate response rate. i'll tell you i bet one you thing, it's though, shorter than 2.8 days by the way uh, that is probably true right and yeah. it's especially true and i think this is dangerous this is this is one of the reasons i don't like that metric can actually be not very helpful because you can drop that metric to zero by having automated responses right. and we talked about this lightly before we were, we were prepping for this show have you seen those automated facebook responses Mm, Facebook response has gone wrong. Facebook response has gone terribly wrong. So for those of you who don't know, you can automate the process of responding to uh, a message on Facebook. And you can actually make it really user-unfriendly. So what would you like to talk to us about? Would you like to sign a new case? Are you looking to talk about your existing case? And Facebook, you actually can make it so you can only respond in one of those defined fashions, right? It's, it's like a choose your own adventure. If you want to talk about anything else, like it gives you the big eh, error message. Terrible user experience, right? This is social media and it is being done very poorly robotically and automated so that no one wants to interface with you at all. That's been my take on this. I don't know if you're seeing yeah. success there, but like it has not been well, implemented well. Not, not with the way you just, not if you configure it that way. So... Because, I mean, let's face it, this is no different. If you do it the right way, it can be implemented similar to a chatbot. Now, again, chatbots have problems, and we've talked about that a lot. But yeah, I think to me, which is the sad, you know, again, you're going to be like, see, beating up the audience again. But a lot of lawyers like that I talk to, they don't even realize that people, like they've, at some point, this is how the story goes. Yes. I had my, my nephew or niece create a Facebook business page for our firm a couple of years ago. Oh, you did? Let's check it out. Oh, people are sending you messages there for several years that you didn't... Oh, you can get messages here? Right. So that's issue number one. And then, of course, issue number two is that if you, when you start to dig into the messages, sometimes too, and I don't know what the default setting is, but sometimes what happens is like they inadvertently check the auto AI robot response. And so then you're watching... All these messages where it's like, hey, I'd like to talk to so-and-so. And they're, and to your point, they're like, how can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to talk to yeah. so-and-so, right? And now we're in the Kafka, like my experience with my bank, where it's like, you can't get out of the system. Then you just yeah. go and choose the other next lawyer. Yeah, which is what happens, right? So, and there's a... Uh... I was talking to Harlan Schillinger the other day. He cited an old fine law study, and I think I've got this number correct in my memory. 
84% of people hire the first lawyer they talk to, right? 84%. Now that, so that's, I, know th- I, yeah. I know that was an old data point, but it's still probably not that far off. But here's the thing, you know what it depends on? Whether they like you. So like plenty of people call up, they're going to shop for another lawyer because the lawyer either answered the phone poorly, was abrasive, whatever it was. Like that's the part that people miss. And then, and then it's like, you get these, you get lawyers that are like, oh yeah, you know, I'm the best lawyer at this in the world. Well, they don't care because they felt like they were treated poorly. Right. So that's another interesting piece of this sales funnel. We've got the velocity. I don't have the data in front of me right now to, to share this one, but like, what is that conversion rate through each phase of the funnel? You should know with absolute clarity, in my opinion, your conversion rate in each step of that funnel, as well as the velocity, right? And it doesn't mean that that conversion rate should be very high all the time. I just did a, a post on someone who's, who has a 5% rate of wanted leads, wanted leads, consultations to clients, but that's because they throw most of the clients out, right? But you should know what that is. You should absolutely know what that number is. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult to make your firm better. All right, it's time for Legal Trends Report Minute, brought to you by Clio. So we're doing a throwback Legal Trends Report Minute. Um, 2019 Trends Report. Law firms should respond within 24 hours. How quickly do potential clients expect firms to respond when leaving a phone message or email? 10% 10% expect a response within an hour, 24% within a few hours, and 45% within 24 hours. In other words, responding, this is the first response, right? Just responding, not booking, but responding. Beyond 24 hours means missing the expectations of 79% of those who reach out to you. Only 5% of clients said they would expect a response beyond 72 hours. Given that clients are likely to reach out to more than one firm, when experience a legal problem, being the first to respond will help make a better impression. Interesting. A couple of things in there. And one, you had brought this up before when we talked about this data point. The way you communicate or the expectation that's been set around communication matters in this, right? Like, your, Conrad, your big point, which really struck me, is if you've got a text relationship, you've set an expectation with texting, yeah. what are the expectations around texting, Conrad? speed, right? Like it is, it's fast, right? So it's not like you don't send a text and expect to wait an hour, right? That's not how texting works. You hear back right away. And so that becomes really difficult for a law firm to manage from an intake perspective if they're not thinking about that. So the other thing that uh, I love about this particular stat is, so they, they basically conclude 24 hours. So that's what I want you to come back with your benchmark data. I'm so curious to see yeah. if on average they're responding within 24 hours. But again, that's got to be a res- to response. I think that's a good standard, though. I mean, that, that honestly, that's the one that if you're just asking me like a generic, I mean, let's face it. The best is you're responding immediately, right? Autoresponder or autoresponder with a you know, virtual receptionist or something. But if you can't do that, you start to weigh balance. I think 24 hours is kind of like the upper limit there. I, absolutely upper limit. At, like there is so many services. There are so many services and technologies available to make this faster that 24 hours is, is, is unacceptable. And by the way, this is 2019. World is moving faster in 2022, right? This is, this is three years old. So 24 right. hours, absolutely. Um, I think the other question for me is, why the fuck are people leaving phone messages, 
right? At the risk of plugging <laughs> Smith AI, why are you why are you accepting the concept of voicemail, right? Right. This is another one that always comes up for me because it just I, I've always I guess I'm get triggered by this voicemail thing. But I was told once that uh, if they want to get a hold of me, they'll leave me a voice message. Oh, and I'm the like, hell no. it. Yeah. I'm like, no, they won't. Oh my I'm like, God. maybe if it was like referred by one of your family members or something, they'll leave a voice message, maybe. But hey, if you're operating under a voice messaging system and think you have a good client experience, hashtag LHLM because we want to talk to you. Because <laughs> we want to make fun of you. Come on the show. On, on air. On show. <laughs> Bring your data. Oh, wait. Yeah. No, we don't do data. We'll talk about that in a minute. To learn more about these opportunities and much, much more for free, download Clio's Legal Trends Report at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O. And Clio Cloud Conference. You know, and Conrad asked me earlier about the one conference I would recommend. I said tech show. I admitted I was biased. But if you asked me what my top two were, Clio Cloud Conference would be 1.5 out of one or something. Anyway, I'll be there. I don't know when this is airing, but uh, say hello to me if you're if we're at the show at the same time when you're hearing this. And come to Clio. I mean, they put on a heck of a show, tons of knowledge sharing. Yeah, do it. See you in Nashville. Let's take a break. And now time for some feedback. This is from Mike BTS via Apple Podcasts. I didn't pass the bar, but I know a little bit. It never hurts to get in the game with current laws and litigations, and Gee is that dude. So I had to subscribe. Gee, you are that dude. Laws and litigations. Thanks, Mike BTS. I didn't know it, and now I do. We'd love to hear more from you. Please leave us a review wherever you may pick up your podcasts. Gee. I want to ask you about metrics. We started talking about really nerdy business school sales funnel velocity and conversion rates. Metrics important. I want you to read this comment on LinkedIn because I had something similar happen. But read this out and then we're going to talk about metrics. Okay. So we received... This is actually an email that we received. Uh, we were talking to lawyers. We were just asking them about like what kind of metrics they use at their firm. And First, they responded, metrics, just question mark. And then so we tried to say, hey, yeah, we're trying to get a sense of what business metrics you're using. And here was the response. We are professionals. We do not consider ourselves as running a business. We don't use metrics to rate each other. We don't keep up with the number of signed cases, nor do we keep up with billable hours. Each of us does. We service clients. We obviously get paid to do that, and our personal compensation is based on production as it must be. We try to be frugal on expenses and review monthly income and expense reports as we must. Ah, yes. And, you know, so two things about this little thing before we really dive into this and get super ranty. Number one is this implication that you can't be a professional and run a business, right? I love that one. Oh, we're not business people. We're not business owners. We're, we're lawyers. We're above that oh, stuff. Oh, so you can't be a great lawyer and be a good business person? Hashtag LHLM. I dare you. <laughs> you know, and again, look, I'm not even going to... The specific metrics that they're talking about here, you know, do I care really whether you use metrics to rate each other? I mean, as a management, there should be some kind of, in my opinion some kind of way of some management strategy. Does that mean it has a metric or not? Like, I don't really care, but come on. 
We don't run a business? Yeah, I mean... Uh, what do you think, Conrad? Is, no metrics? It, You're anti-metrics these days? I think, you know, I went to business school, and so I think one of the, the fallacies you can get into is everything can be run by metrics. And so having said that, like... It just... I, I'm, I, and I think I'm hoping that everyone who has sat through and listened to us before understands where we're coming from on this. But like, a you do run a business, and being a professional actually means that you are in a business. And b like it just goes back to that very very old business edict that what gets measured gets done. I just found this one. I had the same thing. Gary Falkowitz on uh, his law firm Intake Fundamentals Facebook group said. How confident are you that every inbound call is answered? And I answered to his, his question was like, would, would you like the data that shows those who are very confident are wrong? Someone wrote back that says, I wouldn't, I don't chase leads. We have 30 new calls a day. I only accept three cases a month. So a few missed calls isn't going to move the needle on any metric. It will on one. It, it absolutely will on one. And if you're that picky on those clients, right, you need to find those best clients. And those clients who are the really, really good clients who are just going to find you because you're amazing, they expect to be treated very, very well. That is, has always been the case. I promise you, if we tracked that story over the course of a year, I would bet you lunch that they get a negative review for bad response on Google. Well, yeah, Right. So being responsive, that was like one of the most important things. But, you know, the metrics that I, I think the, the other the other side of this and, and I think you and I deal with this all, all day long is there's so many metrics like you and I can create numbers out of everything. And so I do think part of the art of running a business, especially a law firm, is what are we really looking at? what are the metrics that are really important, right? And I get tired of digital marketing people throwing horseshit metrics at their clients all the time, right? So what? even... Uh, <laughs> that happens. Shocking, I know. But, you know, I've talked about this before. If you're counting leads instead of consultations, like, what are you doing? You don't want leads. You don't want your phone ringing off the hook with no consultations. You want to talk about consultations. So why are you talking about... And the, cases. And cases, Right? Why are you right. talking to your digital marketing agency about the number of leads that they generate or the number of likes that they generate for Facebook or the number of blog posts that they wrote last week like, or the rankings for things that no one is looking for? Mm. Right? There's so many ranking garbage reports. metrics. Right? This is why like, our knee jerk with what you read was like, you're an idiot. You are a business and you need numbers. Right? That's real. But then I can kind of understand it because especially the marketing agencies, we throw so many useless metrics at the industry that I think that might be where some of this comes from, right? Not in this case. You're right. And I do think that that's a huge issue. But this is the classic example of we're lawyers, we're special, practicing law is not like running a business. We don't use any of these. This, all this business talk is nonsense to us. That's what this is about. And again, yeah. my, my thing, and go check, I will put the link to the conversation on uh, LinkedIn, so feel free to join in. You know, there are tons of aspects. Mike Whalen had some great points. There are lots of aspects to practicing law that aren't don't lend themselves well to metrics. Here's one, empathy for your client, right? Like, how are you going to measure that, really? You know, oh, we're at eight on the empathy scale. No, of course. And there's, there's all sorts of substantive issues related to practicing law that don't have metrics. But I'm talking business here, right? So in this case, this person, you know, they're talking 
we don't run a business, right? To your point, though, lots of trash metrics, metrics overload. Again, I think Waylon also agreed with you on um, choosing the right metrics. Of course, you can run yourself silly chasing the wrong metrics. Yeah, absolutely. Or too many. Yeah. And shout out to Jeremy Baker, who said he strives to be a professional and a business person. They aren't mutually exclusive. Exactly. Right. I think he really nailed that one for me. But anyway, are we talking about metrics? Are we talking about what metrics to measure? Or are we just ranting about? We could do a whole show on that. You want to? Do, you want to do a whole show on uh, the, the top metrics, metrics that matter? To measure metrics that yeah. matter. I feel like that's a book somewhere. Metrics that matter. It is now. I just wrote it. No, we'll do. We'll do a whole session on metrics that matter, right? Because I do think. I do think there are. There's too much that you can look at. There's too much. What are the worst you metrics you see marketers using? Great. Ha, let's continue being mean to people and we'll make fun of fun of them. The worst metrics. I'll give you two, and then it's your turn. Number one is ranking reports. How you rank for things that no one is looking for. Also, personalization, ranking reports don't matter. Number two is the social media vanity signals that are bullshit. And by watching the bullshit numbers. So I will use like, someone sent this to me the other day. was like, you should, I, I, made, a, I made a comment somewhere on social and someone's like, you should follow blah, 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 because she really gets it. And I'm, I'm assuming this was blah, blah, blah's marketing agency trying to get her more likes. But she was like new on Instagram. She had made like 97 posts and she had 4.2 million followers, right? So, oh, great. There's a metric that is absolutely completely made up. But if you focus on something like, how many followers do I have? Well, it's very easy for me to go get you 4.2 million bots to follow you. And now you feel like you're doing a great job. So metrics are, are not just unhelpful, but some of them can actually incent you or your agency to undertake dubious tactics as well as downright fraud. Reputation damage. Yeah. You didn't ask me, I don't think, but I'm going to tell you the one that's really been bothering me. Ask for two. You got you to come up with two. Two. Okay. This is one that's been really bothering me. I don't know if it's like my number one or my number two, but it's definitely top five. Bounce rate. For the love of God, people... Hey, Guy, before you go any further, just for our audience, this, this metric that you hate, bounce rate, what is it? All right. This is from Google Analytics, so we'll give the exact definition. A bounce is a single-page session on your site. In analytics, a bounce is calculated specifically as a session that triggers only a single request to the analytics server such as when a user opens a single page on your site and then exits without triggering any other request to the analytics server during that session. So there's more on this. But anyway, what you see is, all the time, marketing person talking about how important it is to improve your bounce rate. And maybe if you're a publisher or you've got paying for ads or something like that, like that bounce rate might matter, right? You want to keep people on your site. You don't want them bouncing off the site. But here's the thing. You land on a landing page, you fill out a form, and you're done. It doesn't maybe doesn't redirect you to a thank you page, and you close your browser. That's a bounce. Guess what else that is? A conversion. So ignore bounce rate, in my opinion. Hey, Guy, um, does bounce rate impact your SEO traffic? Oh, that's the, that's the other one, right? Reduce your bounce rate to increase your rankings, right? Is that a thing? Well, the conspiracy theorists believe that Google is using Google Analytics as part of their source data for rank data. And 
Google has been adamant that that is outrageous to even accuse them of. I'll tell you this. I'm not in there using Google Analytics. Could they be using some kind of measurement of engagement from search results and back, maybe, in a limited way? Maybe. But I will tell you this. Bounce rate is not that. And bounce rate has absolutely no impact on your rankings whatsoever. Please hashtag LHLM me if you want to fight about it. I'm just picking we fights keep, today, I guess. You keep inviting. We should have the... Uh, I'm trying to get people the, on the hashtag, I guess. The entire episode of you're going to come on LHLM and Guy will make fun of you. Yeah. I'll give you guys number two. Another Go. horrible metric. Traffic. Traffic, people. Yeah. Because, just you know, Conrad's over here talking about don't count leads that aren't qualified. Yeah. Right? Don't count conversion pixel fires. Well, guess what? Guess what else is some pixel firing? Traffic. Do you know? So first of all, let's even, I'm not even going to get into the fight about direct traffic and traffic by source and all that stuff. I'm just going to tell you this. I'm going to concede all those. And if you're measuring organic traffic, Google organic traffic, and it's not where your clients come from, why are you measuring it? Do you really care about those organic visits from other countries when you're a local bankruptcy right. lawyer? Right. Or how about from another state? You know, you're a local criminal defense lawyer or DUI lawyer or family lawyer and you serve a very specific location. Why are you measuring traffic from other states that's not converting? Right. And again, it's in the reports. So it's actually an interesting data point. It's a, my anecdote with that, and I, you know, like, you and I are both old school SEO guys. I did a ton of old research for sure. On that. Yeah. <laughs> and SEO guys for sure, right? Um, yeah, I guess. But I, I did a ton of study across our clients and found that on average, I think the number was 2.7. I did the, actually published this with the ABA 2.7% of traffic would contact a law firm organic traffic, right? So, like, and, and the theory was like, all right, the more traffic, the more contacts you're going to get, which is great. And this is where averages are just so not helpful. When you look at the, it's the distribution, and there was a very, very wide variability. And what we found is a huge correlation between page count, which was like long tail searching and garbage unrelated to I want to hire lawyer searches. So page count, driving more traffic and having a very, very low conversion rate. So yeah, you may have a lot of traffic because you've got a, long, a lot of long tail content out there. That doesn't mean that they're going to do anything. We've got a client that gets two or three actual clients a month, and they're doing something like 200,000 sessions a month as well, right? And it's just generating two of their clients. Now, we need that session to actually make those conversions happen. We need that, that page breadth, but it's not that... In, like if we were to double our conversion, it just means one extra needle in the haystack, right? And I want to throw two more things to really mess up traffic. How about this? How about all the people that never click through the local pack to your website at all? Guess where they don't show up? Ooh. Traffic. Yeah. Those are yeah. phone those are phone calls without traffic. And then the other thing that I think is worth pointing out, especially if you've got if you're doing brand building, if you're gonna look at traffic at all, you have to segment it by brand versus non-brand. Brand traffic is a totally different ball game than non-brand traffic, right? Brand traffic is people that know your name and how that converts and what those expectations are and yada, yada, yada. 
And by the way, a lot of that brand traffic might not even be potential clients. It might be, you know, other people are looking you up for a variety of reasons, right? Could be the yep. court. Um, yep. Anyway, so, okay, you're going to look at a traffic metric? Look at non-brand organic converting traffic. That's what I want to see. Okay, and I'm going to take that one step further. If you're running advertising and you don't have that access to that brand traffic broken out, you could be paying through the nose to your agency. You think you're buying Motorcycle Accident Lawyer Detroit for $125 a click, and you're really buying Smith & Jones for $5 a click. So don't Not let nice. your agency pull the wool over your eyes by selling you your brand traffic as non-branded traffic. Right. Okay. Or, or your SEO agency taking credit for brand organic traffic that's being driven by your TV buy. Yeah. Right. Oh, traffic's way up. Well, yeah, this is because people are searching because they saw our ad. <laughs> right. Talking about. <laughs> okay. Th this is this brings us to the end of the Grumpy Gee and Conrad show. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Well, not enough coffee, I guess, maybe. I don't know. We will see you in two weeks. I think our next session is going to be metrics that matter. We just, we just did four metrics that we hate. We might have to do a metrics that matter session to make up for being grumpy. We'll see you later. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.